If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's <Yeah. laughs> You know, there is, there's two things in this world. There's fact, and then there's everything else. There's 99% truth and 1% falsehood. That's still falsehood. That's still a lie. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grammarica Show. We're going to be chatting with Michael Galliardi <laughs> a little bit later. Uh, more demonology stuff. I guess you could say that kind of possession. I mean, devil. His book is "Devil Takes the Hindmost." I think it's called. It's uh, it's a pretty interesting book. Possession, yeah, yeah. More possession than demonology. Yeah, very much more yeah. possession this time around. Fun good chat, buddy. good chat. Michael's a fun cat. Yeah, Canadian Another, buddy. Jesus saves. Is that how this one ended? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That yeah. seems to be a running theme lately. It does. I know. It's it's weird how it's... we're gonna end up converting. Yeah. Are you uh, going down the Jeebus road without me? I'll, I'll take you with you. I'll take you with. Will you? Yeah. Uh, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you know, I'm not going anywhere without you, buddy. I know, we're no, in this together now. We're in this together, <laughs> one way or another, with religion and all. That's it. That's you got it. the guns. I got the, the Jeebus. The Jeebus? You got the guns and you're the preacher. Perfect. <laughs> And the hooker, if we need to hook for some money or something like that. You uh, kind of fill all those other roles. Sure. No problem. So it's been a good week. Uh, it was a short week, but a long week. I guess you don't notice long weeks anymore. I do. I've been working. I've been helping my friend paint. The, Are you painting yeah. for Sean again? Yep. Awesome. Tattoo uh, t- tattoo artist, painter guy. How's my tattoo yeah. coming? Uh, he's waiting for your response. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you about that. Yeah, he wants to design it for you and help you with Weren't that. Weren't you yeah. supposed to give him all the info? I gave you all the info, and it seems like it never got to him. Yeah, it did, yeah. He's no, waiting on you. Yeah. He seems yeah. like you didn't give yeah. it to him. Yeah, too much, actually. Too much? you got to narrow it down, man. Narrow down your focus. I do? Yeah. Well, that's his job. That's your job, Sean. You narrow down my focus with wow. amazingness. Okay. I could give him more if he needs more. I don't know what I want until I see it. Oh, so you want him to design it then, like fully design, a little like bit. just yeah, with I'm a broken, an with a no. I know, but you got to tell him what you want. What you want? I mean, there's a lot Do of I? info. Yeah. All right. I'll meditate on it. Okay. So you're painting again? Well, just yeah, yeah, helping him out All a little week? day job. Yeah, a little bit, just helping him out. Yeah, it's good. Like yeah. four days straight. Yeah, probably more than that. You five have to get or up six early. Days, five or six days. No. 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 Like nine. I'm going to work after this. Are you? Yeah, and Sunday too, probably. And Monday, just I gotta help him out. Yeah, just dude, slaving yeah, with it's us. Been, it's been super busy, dude. That's really good. busy. Really some busy. extra cash for you. You're getting ready for your first trip in a while. Yep. Must be your Ca- first trip. Contacted in like a the year cabin. And a half. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Have you done a Vancouver this? trip? I mean, I've been driving. Yeah, I have. I've been driving. The all Saskatchewan over trips don't count. Bro. Well, Vancouver. You like drive there, you drive back. That's not a trip. I went to Vancouver. I do remember you went to Vancouver. Well, you had your family here. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I went last Well, you year. went to Vancouver to sort of kick off. That was when you thought you still had a job. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's right. The, the holiday kicked off the retirement. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Is what happens when you take three weeks off. They yeah. realize they can maintain without you. Perfect. It worked out for the plan. Worked. I should take three weeks off. Uh, so, yeah, so, we'll yeah. get you down I mean, to the States. Of course, you're, you're heading out. A few more days, you're driving to Vancouver, then flying to Spokane. You're going to have to do COVID tests, which you've done your first COVID test. I've done a couple, yeah. So you went from no COVID test to just a shit. No, I'm not doing the one where they jam it up in your fucking brain. I'm not doing that. I don't think that one exists anymore. I don't think it does either. What happened with that? Well, how did that just. I think it was like they couldn't do that and the masks and the highly contagious. It just wasn't vibing. Is is that what? If you have to get six inches into my head to figure out if I have COVID, then. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, it just wasn't vibing, wasn't resonating with people. Because I know the ones, even the one you'll do in the States now is just a swirl, swirl, yeah, swirl, swirl. Yeah. You self-administer it in the States. I don't know if you do here. She kind of watches you, but you could probably just like. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, it'll be good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We'll probably record a little special app from down there. Maybe, yeah. With the bros. It'll be interesting this time around. And I love Dave Matheson. I love you, Dave. But uh, I love Brandon Powell, too. And it's nice to get to hang out. It'll be nice to change it up and get to hang out with Brandon this time. Got to hang out with them both in Utah, which is, of course, sold out already for next year. We do still have room, though. If you're hearing about these events and you're like, man, I got to get on one of these events, head over to contact at thecabin.com today. Still availability for Montana next year with Randall Carlson. It's about half full. And the other one's about half full, too. Um Magic on the Mountain. Magic on the Mountain with Joe Roop, Owen Hunt, and Brandon Powell again. Yep, that'll be fun. Oh, yeah, it'll be a blast. Are you going to do the uh, any cold training this time? Sure, yeah. I'll do whatever's thrown in front of me. I think I'm going to go out one day and get a big bag of ice so we can do some proper cold training. Sure. Yeah. I'll do it. So that way we can be like, I want to be like, not totally caught off guard with the ice water when we go to February so that me and you can kind of seem like not total pussies when it happens. <laughs> Have you done the ice water yet? Yeah, well, I've done cold plunges all the time in that old uh, workout place, the gym. Oh, they, they used to there? go to that a cold plunge there, yeah. They had the one at the Nordic Spa, but it didn't seem that cold. Really? Yeah. It was like minus 30 out. That might be why. Yeah. It's relative. Yeah. It's all relative, baby. So big so election, what's new? Big, big election, election. Canada. I had, I mean, I had a listener email here and Did I forgot to share it to you. No, I'm going, to, I am, actually am going to, because it'll probably be the last time I get to vote. So last time I get to. And, and when was the last time up. you voted? No, this will be like the last time I'm allowed to vote. When was the last time you voted? Uh, last time, probably last election, probably. Or did you vote in the last election? I can't remember, or did I not? I can't remember I can't. if I, I. I just used to think it was useless, but honestly, I do believe I do agree with you that there's something special about this one. I mean, this is a very interesting one. It's just a, my, to me, my it's a take. signal to a signal to them in power that we're not agreeing with the way you're going about this. And if nothing, here's the thing: for all the fucking trouble I'm going through to circumvent their stuff, fake websites, fake businesses to travel. Like this. I mean, it seems silly not to take 20 minutes out of my day and go check a box in the hopes that that might make a difference too. Or at least, I mean, any of my other workarounds could break down at any other time too. So I might as well take 20 minutes or half an hour out of my day. I ended up taking 25 minutes. I waited, I figured if I waited till 8.30 Friday night, it'd be empty as fuck. But no, still a line. Wow. Not as long. 
It'll be interesting. It really will be because there's, I think, more people. This will be a record turnout, probably. It's like you definitely going mean, to be a record turnout. People are there. It's pretty clear distinctions between all the parties. What they want to do, they want to push passports on everybody, except for one party. It seems like they don't. But man, I got an email from. Uh, I, what I'd like to see is uh, maybe like because it's all close enough that maybe you could get some weird like little little. Uh, what's it called when they team up? I don't know. Can't remember conglomerate. Yeah, that's kind of the word, but not it. Yeah. Coalition. Coalition, yeah. Maybe we could get a coalition between the PPCs and the conservatives, and they could fucking straighten them out and be like. I don't trust any of them. I don't trust any of them either. No, that's the thing. This is a problem. You can't trust any of them. Even PPC, I don't. I mean, but. PPC. So here's the thing. The PPC guys are going to, if any of them win, they're going to be so out of their element and in over their head that they're not going to be able to uh, To tyrannize us. I mean, they'll be handcuffed in a lot of ways. I can imagine. I mean, half the PPC candidates are dudes just like me and you. Yeah. Can you imagine if you're just a member of parliament in three weeks and you're just like, what? <laughs> so what do I do? <laughs> Is there any YouTube videos on being a member of parliament? What to do my first day? Do I need to get a suit? Yeah. Do they send someone over to set you up? How's all that work? Yeah. I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. I'd be fucking terrified. Yeah. There'd be a level of terrified going into that first day. Hundred percent. Anyway, all right. I got. Let me get. Let me. So I got. No, I I got an email here though. I know. I'm looking for a jingle for your email. I'm trying to pick the perfect jingle. It's kind of. It's just a real short one. Doesn't even need a jingle, but. What? It always needs a jingle. It's just a political one. I'm going to show you. I'm going to actually pull up my laptop and show you the picture here they sent. I don't want to see it. Oh, look at that. That's nice. I mean, is that not creepy or what? You don't say ham, you say spam. I love it. It's been a long time since we heard that jingle. Spam Graham, send us your feedback. Send us your uh, sightings, your experiences, your... All that stuff. Send it to Graham. Synchronicities. GrahamUckerAmerica.com. Yep. Uh, This guy sent... uh, Oh, I don't know if it's a guy or not. Jesse said, uh, check this shit out. Maybe proof that our leaders are really dark arts. Check the hand gesture that he pulled at the beginning of his press conference. On the first day of the new Vax passport, no less. Interesting but unsettling. So he shows this. This is Francois Legault in Quebec. I guess he's the leader there. And he's literally standing there with this weird hand gesture. Like the the uh, thumb and f- Index finger together with the three fingers. It's like this. Yeah, white creepy. supremacist. Uh, but I mean, it really, even his eyes, he's looking at somebody. I mean, isn't I it mean, a white supremacist well, well, I, bird whistle or I don't dog know, whistle? I guess. I mean, but that, you know. And that's the first day of the new Vax passport in Quebec. I mean, holy, things are getting crazy. Oh, dude, all you can do is sit back and uh, oh, yeah, enjoy the, enjoy ride. the ride. Oh, yeah, enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride. Try totally, not to take it too seriously. So remember what our buddy ride, Bill ride, Hicks said. Ride the wave. It's all just a ride. I mean, some of you got some real decisions to make, but uh, I can't help you make those. You just got to meditate on it and decide what uh, ground you want to take. Whatever I tell you, it could be the wrong advice. You know, I don't trust my advice in this situation at this point. I can tell you what I'm doing. Yeah. I know what I'm doing. I can't tell you what you would do. Yeah, exactly. So we've gone way past the oh, yeah. uh, point where yeah, I'm, no, where so I'm so comfortable crazy. telling anybody what to do. Okay, let's hear your email. That was it? That was it. That was it? Thanks, yep. All that for that? Yep. Yeah. It's a big it's a picture, dude. It's, 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 uh, 
crazy. So uh, we did get some stuff into the studio, though. I mean, we we should talk about. All that, right, I you guess, go through now. the book there while I find the. Uh... And I'll get the jingle ready. What's the book called? Well, we got a book from M. Andrew Jones. I remember meeting him at one of our Contact at the Cabins. Metal is the name of the book, and he's got a little note in there. Thanks for your courage, M. Andrew Jones. Was he at the last one? No, he was at the one in Colorado. Oh, way back in the day. So I think it's like a short book. I don't know if it's fiction or not, but it sounds interesting. Uh, bad manners make a wish is the first chapter. So I'll, I'll read, I'll read through that. And he did, he did give us a card there, Darren, that uh, goes with it. If you want to just read that quickly, I think he sent us a note. Oh, he mentions, uh, 502. Who's that? Who was 502? Uh, that was our Iboga retreat. Oh, it's always interesting when somebody mentions an episode they like and you, you're not sure what it is. And you look up and you're thinking, Where's I wonder it? which one it is. And it's the Iboga retreat one. I wonder how long before they'll have some Iboga over at uh, our buddies from BC. That you notice I added the link to last show notes. Are you going to keep that in all of them now? The psychedelic. Yeah, I'll copy him from, from the recent one. So what, what do you mean about Iboga there? Why? Well, he's got some other crazy stuff. Oh, besides uh, mushrooms? Oh, yeah. So there's a boga. Oh, I don't don't think there's no a boga yet, but there's like uh, mescaline stuff like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, so we got Dear Darren and Graham. Episode 502 is excellent. Here's a little value for value. Also, I wrote another book. I hope you like it. M. Andrew Jones. P.S. Graham, if you do like it, would you consider doing an audio version? Sure. I'll consider it. I'm not very good with the fiction stuff. So if you expect voices and stuff, Terrible. I can't even do that for D&D, like DMing and Terrible. D&D. I can't, I can't even do a monster voice properly. Let's hear your monster voice. No way. That's pretty good. You probably can't do that for very long, though, can you? You just got to add a little, like... I know, but I end up sounding like the same pirate all the time. <laughs> There's that pirate guy again. And then, of course, we got a bunch of... Uh, now here's one of my favorite things to get in the mail, other than cash and weed. I mean, dirty socks. Is uh, clothes. Shirts. I love having shirts that no one else has or that are very few and far between. Almost my entire wardrobe at this point are shirts that you'll never see on anyone else unless maybe you have them sometimes. But uh, they're trickier to get. You know, they're not Nike. They're not this. They're not that. So we got some from the guys over at BAM Creations. Uh, we got, what, four shirts each, I think? Yeah. He, no, no, just a couple. But he's... He, well, I already he, took mine out. Oh, you took... I took Oh, you took all out. yours. Oh, yeah, okay. Those are all well, yours. Oh, yeah. These are all mine. Yeah, that's great. Like three each then? Fantastic. There's the Freedom shirt, and there's uh, the Cure shirt where you're smashing the TV with a baseball bat. I don't have the double think one. There's I a double think one with two L's and it says double think. Yeah. I, and then there's the. Uh, support freedom. Yeah. Support freedom. And it's got a skull, like a fiery skull and support freedom. Isn't I mean, there this, a thought criminal one too? Oh, and on the back it says freedom over fear. Yeah. I like that. So here's a note. Hey, Gramerica guys. Aaron from BAM. Sounds like BAM. B-A-H-M. Sounds like B-A-M. Creations here. Hope you guys. Hope you guys and your, you loved ones, I'm sure you meant your loved ones, are all doing great. I just wanted to send you guys a little care package. I call, the, I call it the Freedom Pack to show my appreciation for all you guys do 
and for toughing it out all these years and staying true to your values. Morals and values can be a sparse commodity these days. I included two shirts of both my support freedom and rage on behalf of the machine. These two designs I am currently making with my printer and inkjet heat transfers that I heat press onto shirts and hoodies. The other three designs, the black shirts, are from my 1984 Thought Criminal series. <laughs> These ones I ordered a bunch of screen print transfer and are of a higher quality but a little more pricey. I hope to one day purchase some screen printing equipment and have everything I make at the same high level of quality. So for now, you guys will have to decide who gets what as far as the thought criminal ones go. Luckily, I decided that before Graham got here. I would love to have you guys' feedback and opinions. I have other shirts and hoodies that are available on my newly made website, thebombbazaar.com. That's the bomb, B-A-H-M-B-A-Z-A-A-R.com. I've been a tradesman my whole life and put my passion on the back burners. It's far easier to make money as a tradesman than an artist. However, when all the COVID bullshit started, I called bullshit right away and told my boss they're going to make us wear masks and saw all this shit coming like many others did. He didn't believe it would happen and assured us he wouldn't impose mask rules as it's utterly insane to think that on a construction site, a mask provides any level of protection against COVID. We wore respirators regularly for much larger particulates like lacquer and spraying paint and drywall dust. But somehow, a much more porous mask or piece of cloth is going to protect against an even smaller particulate than that. Yet days before they made it mandatory, I got a text saying we all need to wear masks on site. I said I wouldn't play this COVID game and I would come in without one and deal with the consequences if some bylaw guy or something wanted to ticket me. However, me gave me a bunch of BS on how he could get fined and this and that, to which I proved to him wasn't true. So I said, fuck this, I'm out, and decided to focus full-time on my graphic art business called BAM, B-A-H-M's, like BAM, Creations. It's been very tough to get seen as I suck at promoting myself and I'm not much of a fan of social media and their dumbass algos. Although his Instagram account is awesome though. I mean, his art is incredible on there. I make logos, illustrations, portraits, custom art pieces, custom apparel, and more. I love doing this work and being my own boss. It also allows me to work from home and give my youngest son in particular the attention he needs. He has some challenges and can't walk, but with enough work and time, I believe one day he will. I hope he does. Good vibes. My company and family mean the world to me. That's why I came up with the name BAM. It stands for Brianna Aaron Hunter Mason. Awesome. The names of me, my wife, and two boys. I also have a bunch of designs on my tea public storefront under the name BAM Creations, all one word, which is the same as my Instagram. But enough about me. You guys are the real magic here. You both helped me break through on so many personal re revelations and perhaps helped confirm... Some biases, lol. I'm a proud 333 donator and one day would like to bump that number up. There have been many times I would have an idea or personal revelation as to what I believed or thought I believed, and then the next or same day you guys would be talking about it. And I was thinking I came up with something on my own, but perhaps I was just tuned into your frequencies. The craziest part is that as I first randomly discover you guys, I immediately fall in love with your personalities and the banter topics. Then I get all these spiritual, philosophical synchros with you guys. 
I decided I wanted to do something to show my appreciation, so I created a little fan art logo caricature to while listening to your podcast. I hear Graham talking about him doing something in New West when he used to live in BC. This caught my attention as for years I lived in New West in the elementary school days. Then he mentioned he lived in Maple Ridge, which is a little last town in BC, epically during the time he lived there. This literally gave me the chills and promoted me to send him a message on Instagram. After a little chat, I find out that he went to the same high school. I went to Gary Bald. Oh, now people are going to be stealing your identity. Garibaldi. Garibaldi. What high school? That's what they say, those little things that like, what's your middle name and your this and that's your poor name. Those are all like password hacking questions. Oh. That's more likely to get you hacked than uh, anything else. This literally gave me a gym. Go Rebels. Granted, I graduated in 2003 and Graham in 1812. (laughs) I'm not sure if Darren will think this is a great synchro, but for me... And the number of crazy connections I have with the show, it still blows me away. Actually, I didn't go to Garibaldi. I went to MRSS. But but we played against them. Like, we were rivals against Garibaldi and Pitt Meadows. And there was, like, three high schools back there that were I'll give it a 7. all rivals. 5. And uh, I dated a girl in Garibaldi. I so bet. I don't know if that counts. And a boy? <laughs> so what if I did? <laughs> it's not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just trying to get to the bottom of Actually, she was quite religious. Was it she? Was, yeah, it, was, it wasn't. Did wasn't. you pretend? Uh, no. No? Good no. for you. I'll give you a 7.5 for the sinker, but this is already way too long of a note, but I just wanted to send a token of appreciation, seven tokens. If you could just let people know about my web store, www.thebombazaar.com, sounds like BAM, and or my Instagram, that would be amazing. P.S. Yeah. COVID equals the flu plus mass hysteria. P.P.S. If you guys want the digital files of the Grimerica fan art I made to use however you see fit, shoot me a message on Insta and I will send those over. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that, it's it's a fantastic little art piece there with ours. Much love and light. Aaron T. A.K.A. Bam Creation. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, his website and the Instagram is awesome. I love the I love the fonts. Like he, he sent some stickers as well. Look at the stickers on their thing, too. Oh, fantastic. yeah, there was a Thought Criminal sticker. I threw it on my truck. Thought, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's where you got that. I noticed it on your truck and I was like, where'd you get that from? That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah. um, Fantastic uh, website and Instagram. I love the fonts. This reminds me of like being a kid in the in the seventies and eighties, that font with the, there's a sparkly one there. I don't know what it's like being a kid in the seventies. I don't know what it's like being a baby in the eighties. Yeah. There you go. A little weird. Anyway, big thanks to big thanks to Aaron for the stuff, Bam Creations. Big thanks to Andrew for the books and more silver. Big thanks to you guys for listening. Even bigger thanks if you're one of the few that choose to promote, support the show. Well, it's not a free show. It's a value for value show. We put all of this content out for free. Five hundred and twelve episodes now, all for free, no paywall. Access to the full back catalog, all that, and the hopes that if it does add a little value to your day, your commute, your work day, your workout, wherever you're listening to the show. Head over to grimerica.ca slash support today. Sign up for a monthly or make a one-time donation. There's a bunch of different options there. Great way to support the show. You can also check out our audio books over at adultbrain.ca. Is another fantastic way to support the show. There's about 22 audio books released now. Isis Unveiled will be coming out over the next couple of weeks. That was fantastic. Yeah, a bunch of uh, Blavatsky on there, Secret Teachings of All Ages, the Unabomber Manifesto, my book, A Canadian Chain, is on there. Hamlet's Mill's on there. 
So you can get to all that at adultbrain.ca or by typing Graham Dunlop into your Audible. It'll pop up all over the place. Leave them a good review. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. Rockfin.com for our video stuff. Got a quote for us? I do have a quote for us. I don't really have the jingle ready. No? Okay, but also, uh, all right, we might be putting a, we might be putting in an inch, uh, a Rockfin's uh, trailer, an audio trailer. We will. Oh, and this one, yeah, we yeah. should have the trailer. It'll be coming up for this, for the episode we did with uh, Flavortown and Amuro on Starforts, friends of the show. We've done the, the last one we did with them was Tartaria. So that'll play before the interview. It's a great chat. And then if you want to head over to GrimericaOutlaw.ca, we got some great content over there as well. That's our other podcast, which you can get the first hour for free and the second hour if you're a member. Um, and we did like a 40-minute rant at the beginning of the last episode. We argued. About oh, the outlawed. Was yeah. it 40 minutes? Yeah. I didn't know how long that went. It felt like it went pretty long. Yeah, yeah, that's why I shut you down at the end because I didn't want it to be longer than the interview. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, but that, I wanted to mention, I'm glad you mentioned that. We did kind of do a rant on yeah. what's happening right now. And we weren't really, I mean, it was, it was a good argument in a way. They're all good Ten arguments. Minutes, yeah. It's always funner with arguing with someone you don't have to live with. Exactly. But we still see each other's side. I mean, that's the thing. And we're arguing, but it's, you know, we still see it. Like, I get where you're coming from. We don't take it personally. No. What if it's not a human? It's an AI? No. Can I just start guessing AI for all of them? Seeds of the world's crops are being collected and protected by the Crop Trust, created by the UN as a hedge against disaster. The UN and other powerful groups regularly discuss the benefits of a smaller world population and worldwide regulations and controls. Underground facilities and secret technology seem to exist. Military weapons, training, and vehicles have been acquired by state and local governments. FEMA camps have been prepared to accommodate thousands. At least one has hundreds of burial tubs. Walls along highways constantly being built might protect locals from the sound of traffic. But they might prevent escape from forced destinations. A record number of CEOs, over 1,300, resigned between January and November 2019. Something unprecedented during a good economy. Our rulers seem to be preparing for something big. Bruce DeTorres. <laughs> yeah, you got it. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. That was, um, that was in his book, uh, God, School, 9-11, and JFK, and it was his prediction he, that he wrote well before Well COVID. before all this crap. Well before all this stuff. So very interesting. Absolutely. Speaking yeah. of very interesting, enjoy the little best of we got here, our little highlight reel from our Starfort chat for Rockfin, and then enjoy the interview with, let's hear your version. Michael Gagliade. There you go. Nailed it. Enjoy the chat. What is a Starfort? Well, you can find them on Wikipedia listed as bastion forts. Um, so that's the term... Uh, that the mainstream uses for them. Uh, they're a style of fort that was, quote-unquote, 
very popular between like, what would you say? Like the 1500s through the civil war, essentially. Yeah. There's a 300 year stretch where they were purported to be defensible military structures uh, and redoubts, also walls and also additions to things like port cities for security. However, the, the method and date of their construction can be differentiated between three or four stages and styles, um, such as the one built on the New York-Canada border, that right there, um, always a readout for a port. And you can tell by, by its very shape, we've got a ton of those. And you're like, well, you know, these are all just, you know, military defensive purposes. And I will say this, they are. They're just bastards. And they were. Yeah. Well, and, and here's the thing, like, you can, there are things that exist that you can use for various purposes. It's a tool, right? So you could look at these star forts as a tool and say, I've got, you know, this structure here and it's very good for defending against cannon fire and you can set troops up on either side so you can shoot at the flanks uh when they're charging all those things are technically correct um i just don't think that was the initial purpose of them Um, and there's a lot of reasons i don't think there's that was the original purpose of them but they've been repurposed um to suit the needs of battles yeah so and they're all over the world so i'm sure you guys are familiar with victor schauberger Yep. So, you know, he has a lot of really interesting takes on water and how it works and the vortex energy and how you can change the nature of water by manipulating it. The entire Netherlands has, I would say, more tunnels above it than road or more tunnels below it than roads above it on an order of magnitude i would say three to five times more we're talking 300 400 feet below the surface isn't that at sea level though already like isn't it almost yeah. flooding yes. all the time so how how is that <clears throat> just between the between the water you mean there's um, enough there's enough like from the water there's enough Completely. Um, there are oh, blocked famous cathedrals and churches. Let me see if I can find something wow. to share. And Darren, you found that northern thing, didn't you? You found that. Northern I found one in Churchill, Manitoba. <laughs> oh yeah, mm-hmm. probably to defend from polar bears. This is a, a photo of a diagram of. As you can see, it's not just a star fort; it's a star city. Because you've got these castles here in the background defended by this wall, and you've got the moat here, and then you've got all of this infrastructure underneath for channeling the water. Which is bringing it through the city for bathhouses and all that sort of stuff. Whatever. Irrigation. Exactly. You can do anything you want with this. And then, like I said, if you have this system of tunnels... And you understand how geometry works and you understand the the nature of water, you know what temperature it needs to be at, you know what state it needs to be in. If it's vortexed, you have also the ability to generate energy. That was the big thing that Schauberger did is that he used that, that vortex, the natural vortexes that water gets just by flowing. 
to harness energy. Um, he created an engine out of it. As you can see, uh, extremely geometric, very fractal. And most likely, my guess is that Versailles, I mean, in these areas have water in tunnels running underneath. I mean, you can see there's pools of water here. They had to get them here somehow. Um, and you have this, like, you know, this kind of, this era was defined by its gardens. Um, you can go find, like, shows on Netflix about, you know, ancient, or, I mean, uh, this, this period of times, you know, their Victorian gardens, you know, tour of Victorian gardens. And, I mean, it's wild, the amount of, and, and it looks like a computer chip. I'm just going to say it. And in the Himalayas, they have star towers. I'll share my wow. screen. How here. tall? Pretty fucking tall. Uh, so these are the Himalayan towers. They are pretty massive, a couple hundred feet high, I'd say. For wow, that's little. interesting. And they're all over the landscape. And uh, they don't know why they built them. So in theory, if you could tune into the frequencies of the world, of the planet, of various different things, you could get these towers to you know, resonate with them. I mean, again, it's a tool. So we don't know necessarily what they were doing with it. I mean, what, what do you think we could do with that kind of thing? I mean, you could control the weather. You could power things. You could save your own life. Now these, when I took my first look at these, I'd been studying weather vanes in America in the 17 and 1800s. And uh, it seems like most houses, most properties had weather vanes because a more electrified earth atmosphere at the time meant more common lightning strikes. And as an easier method of elect electricity to ground, you would put up a weather vane or a lightning rod. And these towers, these star towers, these dipoles, these weather vanes, lightning rods are just an easier way to go to ground. Now, this says nothing about the harnessing of that energy should it be stored, only that this is the same principle by which all of these structures work. This is uh, this are these are various sound waves going through an oscillator. Um, compared to and the images that you can get them to create when you tune into certain frequencies, and then there's a star fort next to it. Even Angkor Wat has these things called Shiva Lingams inside of it, which work as dipoles. They have a, a definitive temperature difference and an obvious. Or going cloudbuster, characteristic to them. Wow! All over. This is not a small structure. It looks like a, a an electrical substation, really. These star cities are insane. Uh, th they are the entire city, and none of this, almost none of this infrastructure, still exists. This is Dresden. Um, wow! There is no more Dresden. I mean, there is, but. Dresden was completely annihilated in World War II. Yeah, you I wonder. Mean, and look at look at that. Was that a a, a plan of uh, Dresden prior to that? Oh yeah, this was back. Yeah. Probably this is in the, this is eighteen hundred. Wow. I so mean, look at this, you know, even up until two hundred years ago, this is what Dresden looked like. 
And none of this stuff is still here today. Uh, and, and here's Frankfort. Um, and you can see the kind of like, you know, it's on both sides of the river. You have the uh, classic uh, fort star fort, you know, fort lines coming across. And, you know, you have the water. I mean, who knows how many channels are going underneath the city. Um, Frankfurt too, eh? That was Frankfurt? Frankfurt was Frankfurt or? Yes. Yeah, wow. Frankfurt, And that was Germany. destroyed massively too. I mean, that looks like yeah. a completely modern city now. There's Strasbourg in, in Germany as well. Um, and then you can even see, you know, you have this river running through and you have them all coming out like channels, like, you know, like a circuit diagram. <laughs> So Antiquitech would be things like star forts, star towers, anything that that is, you know, ancient possible technology that we don't quite understand yet falls under this Antiquitech banner. Oh, there's a really good one. Waveguide structures. Yeah. So sonoluminescence is quite unique because we can't figure out how to scale it up. But once you get to the star in a jar, once you get to a certain frequency, it turns into light, right? Um, yeah, so and my- you can sustain this light, but we can't scale it up. We can make a tiny little light bubble, um, but we can't make the light more diffuse inside the bubble. We can't make a giant light in wow. a giant bubble. But there's an old rumor about the underground tunnels of Harlem being lit with sound. They were worldwide. Um, they were global. I mean, you, we've called them many things throughout the past, you know, call them Phoenicians, potentially. Uh, the Celts, the Vikings possibly were connected to these people. Um, we don't know. Um, so that's the ongoing thing I'm trying to come up with. And so obviously I'm over at stolenhistory.net. Um, we do have a whole section on star forts in that forum. Uh, if you want to check that out, um, I think also between now and then we've had a YouTube, we have a YouTube channel now stolen history, and, uh, we've been producing some documentaries on there. I know Armuro has been, did a couple of, uh, podcasts on the, on there that have been posted of some kind of wrap up stuff we've done on various posts on the site. All right, we got Michael Gagliardi with us tonight, and he's a he's a Canadian Italian living in the states for like a couple decades at least. But he wrote an awesome book called "Devil Take the Hindmost," and it, uh, I'm looking forward to talking to him about this. It, it's kind of, I think it's going to remind Darren and me of our childhoods in Canada. So, uh, except for the you know the, the mother being the mother being possessed part. So, <laughs> thanks for joining us, Michael. Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys. This actually is my first Canadian interview. Oh, good. Wow, that's great. I mean, honestly. Yeah. Wait, was that a shot against our mothers? No, not at all. No. You better clarify that. Yeah, it came no. off as possibly one. Really? No, no, no. No, I just meant that, I mean, his childhood, a lot of the stuff he described in his book was very similar to our Canadian childhoods, I think, uh, except with the mother. The mother situation was quite different, I'm sure. Ah. Uh. Nice clarification. So, Michael, before I forget I to uh, book, so before I forget to to, to congratulate congratulate you, um, whenever I smell bleach, 
I think of my tie dyed jeans from '84 because I tie dyed some <laughs> jeans. Oh, you read it. And you he did was the freaking. He. I read it. I read your book. I, I liked it. I really liked it. But you're the guy that I think you invented tie dyed jeans in what '81 or '82 or something. Yeah, pretty much. I was the first one in my school and then everybody started. Doing <laughs> exactly. It. And then here we are in Vancouver in the lower mainland in like 84, maybe. And we're tie dyeing our jeans and I'm going to school with these like faded jeans that are falling apart because they've been tie dyed and it was all his yeah. fault. It was all his fault. <laughs> yeah, he did it first. Didn't you say you started a trend too? You were the first one to say something some way or something like that? Well, no, we all we all did in, in school. You and your we, buddies? Yeah. Our what was it? I can't remember. I'll, I'll think about it later. All right. Yeah. I think it's more of a collective consciousness hunted monkey thing. Maybe. It's weird how these things just sort of work their way yeah. in. So, Michael, where did you, you were in Ontario in a small town. You grew up in a small town in Ontario in like the late 70s kind of thing, early 80s? Yeah, it was uh, about a hundred and few miles uh, just north of Toronto on uh, Nottawasaga Bay, which is on Highway 26 there. It links it links Meaford, Thornberry, and Owen Sound. So I grew up on the town of in the town of Meaford. Do you know that? 4,000 people. Meaford? Yeah. No, I don't know. Do you know Owen Sound at all? Because yeah, Darren, Darren's from northern Ontario, and, I, and I'm from BC as, as a kid while well, I was, I, I grew I was born in Quebec, but, but I'm sort of closer to your, your age. So it, it kind of like, it, it was, it was reminded, it reminded me of like kind of you, you being in sort of Darren's uh, environment geographically and my sort of age and culture in a way. So it was yeah. interesting to me in that regard. Yes. No, yes. no, I'm like way on the other side of all the great lakes. But I mean, I was in Guelph for a while, which isn't terribly far from that. And I was in London for when I was younger. So like when I was hanging out in Guelph, actually, we used to go up to like Collingwood with Saga Beach area and party up in there, yes. which probably isn't yeah, too far from that's on Highway here. 26. So that does connect Meaford if you stay on that highway. Meaford is more west of that. Yeah, I probably never have been quite that far west, but I've been probably, you know, only only a few miles from the turnoff. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Know that area very well. I liked it. I liked the book. It really reminded me of um just the groups of friends that we had and the and the uh just growing up as a Canadian kid, you know, in the winters and just being outdoors a lot, like kind of free range. What happened? You know, you're very docile. You, even when I met you, you're very free range. You had those crazy things that climbed on your boots so you could run down hills. Oh, and you yeah. Were like, you were like breaking people who were trying to keep up with you. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I was talking to Ian the other day and he said you pissed him off because he went golf with you. And he's like, dude says he hasn't golfed in like fucking five years and he beats everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so, Michael, I did. I was surprised at how, how well you remembered your childhood. Yes. Uh, it uh, it left quite an impression on me, and it completely changed my adult life, the way I think, the way I do everything. Um, as you know, I'm sure when you were reading the book, you could see just how profound uh, it was. And, you know, it did some good for me, and it did a lot of bad. Yeah. But you seem pretty aware through the whole thing. I was extremely aware, even from a young age, and I, I'm not really sure where that came from, but uh, I was extremely aware and analytical at a very young age. 
probably as early as two and a half, two and a half, three. My memories were very, very strong and very opinionated about about things. I, I had a focus on life even at that age, and I was able to see the flaws in life, which was extremely weird. But I didn't find any of that weird growing up. It wasn't until I became an adult that uh, I began to look back on my childhood and, and really go, you know, what the hell happened? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you seem to transcend all the cliques and all the groups. I mean, from, from sort of like an outcast perspective and from a, a broken home to, to uh, honors and to the jock status of, of being, a, you know, a, a great pitcher. I mean, it just a musician. I mean, how, how did, what was it like to sort of transcend all these different, I would say that those were different sort of cliques back then. Well, you know, I, I, I really didn't know what I was doing to tell you the truth. All I was doing was overachieving in everything. You know, I won so many awards. I think it was 75 by the time I was done, you know, with school. And uh, I, I really wasn't even aware what I was doing. You know, I was a classic overachiever because I had no family at home. I had no mother. I had no father. The, the whole situation was collapsed. And, uh, of course, the, the mental anguish of it all was, was tremendous, as well as the stress. But uh, I, I really didn't know what I was doing. I was just kind of operating in in an autopilot mode all of those years. Huh. And then, so do you want to do you want to get into uh, a little bit of that? Some of those stories. Well, sure. I mean, where would you like me to start? I mean, uh, the the things that started, you know, happening with my mother, they started around the age of uh, three. We lived in Mississauga, and. Uh, you probably remember Mississauga if you lived near Guelph. And we, we lived in an, an 11-story apartment apartment building. And the very first event that happened was, was very, very uh, profound in my mind because it broke a routine. Uh, you know, being an Italian kid growing up in an Italian family, you know, we always got pasta vasule uh, for, for lunch all the time, which is basically, uh, you know, a star soup kind of thing, you know, with the little stars or the little alphabets or what have you. And uh, this was routine in, in our house uh, for lunchtime. And when I was a kid, I was always called to the table and sat down and it was always there. And then one afternoon I was called to the table. I sat at the table. It wasn't there. And my mother came up behind me and poured the whole scalding hot um, pot of soup all down my shoulder. And I, I remember this so vividly that she had no response. She was um, devoid of emotion. She ended up calling a taxi, took me to the doctor, never said a word there, never said a word to me at the doctor and never con uh, comforted me uh, on the way home. And that was the beginning of of uh, I guess that would be you would consider that a, a childhood trauma, but that's what that was the 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 real factor in my life where I began to open up my eyes at such a young age. That how, how was, old were you then? Yeah, I was about three. Wow! And that trauma stunned me so bad, and then the lack of love and comfort from it that I became very aware and alert for my life, and. Uh, you know, the situation with my mother, 
from what I hear from my sister, who will not talk about this, uh, she was seven years older than me. She can even go back farther where it started, slowly started to creep in. And then, you know, when we moved from Toronto to this small town in Meaford, that's when it started to get worse. And this progressed into my teens till it got really, really, really bad. And then she attempted murder. And that's when it got uh, very scary. Uh, very, then I began to see, it wasn't until, you know, I, I, I want to make this clear. It, it wasn't until my 40s that I realized really what happened. I, we had always thought as mom is crazy. And what I saw, you know, when you read the part about when she opened the door and her, you know, forehead was bulging and her eyes were just black, black holes. There was no pupil. Um, I repressed that for decades. And it wasn't until my 40s that I actually realized that, oh, my gosh, because I started to read stories and started to study about this stuff. I studied the uh, Annalise Michelle case, uh, the Roland Doe case, um, and every I've studied every exorcism case there has been or any uh, demonic um, uh, transcript uh, since the 13th century. Everything that's there, I have read it, I have studied it, I've gone through. It wasn't until then in my 40s that I began to see all these similarities with my mother, and I'm like, my mother did that. My mother was like that. My mother said that. My mother looked like that. And it wasn't until then that I was able to put the pieces together. Because even to this day, like I said, my sister, she represses this whole thing. To her, it's like it didn't happen. She never told her kids. Her kids are over 30. She never told her kids. I was never able to talk about it, even though I went through, oh, I'd guess, uh, 20 plus years of uh, psychiatrists and none of them could help me. Some of them just said outright, uh, there's nothing I can do for you. This is above my head. So does your sister not even realize or remember the time that her, your mom tried to murder her? She does remember it, but she won't, she won't talk about it. Yeah. She has such an interesting, uh, shall we say, uh, a perception or, or perspective of it, it's like it doesn't exist. And as long as she doesn't talk about it, it doesn't hurt. Yeah. You know, that yeah. kind of thing, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, so what, I mean, it's such a weird uh, time because I feel like you, 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 uh, you got some strength back then in the eighties, like, or I guess that would have been the eighties. Yeah just such a weird time where, where your mom would get hauled away for months at a time. And yet, yes. yet they didn't really like they had the institutions that they got rid of. I think they got, they must've got rid of them shortly after your episodes. I mean, in Canada, they got rid of all those institutions. And I mean, I don't even know what people do now that go through what you, what you went through. Well, interestingly enough, I called the very mental institution that she went to, which is now part of the Owen Sound Hospital. It's Owen Sound Mental Health Care, I believe it is. And I called them and I asked for the records. I gave her name and I asked for the records and they told me straight up, well, they're probably uh, destroyed because they were from, you know, the, you know, anything from the 80s and below would be destroyed. And I said, well, can you just check? So she was on the computer checking and she said, hold on. She said, 
those those files on your mother were saved. They're they're archived in another building. And I said, can you get those? She says, well, I can't get them today, but uh, I will. She says, I will check into those, check into those in the other building and get back to you. She was very um, surprised that they hung on to them because they should have been destroyed. And she said that was really weird. So I, she never called me back. I ended up calling several times, couldn't get anybody on the phone. Nobody would tell me nothing. And they shut me down. So you didn't so, get them back in the end? I didn't get anything. I wow. didn't get anything. No resolution whatsoever, you know? And, and the, the interesting thing was, you know, you know, living in a small town in Canada, especially in the seventies, you know, everything's over everybody's head. Nobody wants to talk about anything. Ah, whatever. You know, it, you know, the police hassled us. Nobody cared when we were teenagers, you know, nobody cared. And they, they basically, you know, buried it all because you, as you read in my book, you know, that the police came to my house many times because she harassed and threatened the neighbors. She was going to cut their heads off. Uh, they were there all the time. She lit the house on fire many times from burning all of everything that I owned. And no one, social services, I guess, did, didn't exist back then. I just remember, uh, I remember talking to police a lot, but I remember only one time talking with doctors who, after she tried to kill my sister, where they actually wanted me just to get out of the house. They were asking me questions like, is there some place you can go or what's your plans and your dreams and your hopes? Nobody wanted to take responsibility. Nobody wanted to dive into this and go, you know what? We got a we got a serious problem here. And every time they took her away, she came right back. And I was still a minor at the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's just crazy. Crazy. Um, how did you, uh, what was the, how did the Jehovah's Witnesses fit into all that? I mean, cause you talk about some of the excruciating experiences trying to go door to door uh, oh, with that. Well, but, but know, was that like, was she involved in that or was that your dad on his side? No, no, or? no. She was involved in that, in that my dad at that time was, uh, you know, he was a runner in the mafia. He was running with guys like Luciano Pavarotti and his brother who were, you know, had houses in Toronto, you know, where we lived. And he was gone and at Italian clubs and doing whatever he was doing. He was never home. But my mother, you know, I can remember we were still living in Toronto at the time. It wasn't until I was five years old that we moved to Meaford. So she got involved in the Jehovah's Witnesses early. And, you know, I, I have my, my, my uh, uh, understandings of why she would have done that. But once we were in Meaford, they had a kingdom hall there, which is basically their church. We ended up getting excommunicated <laughs> by the church, <laughs> which was which was a blessing to me because I hated going, and and uh, you know we would go canvassing every Saturday afternoon, knocking on doors and talking to people. As you're very aware, that's what they do. And I was always afraid of running into somebody I knew, but uh, it didn't last very long until we were excommun excommunicated, and it was right around the time right around the time that the Muppet show came out. So that had to be 77, 78. Cause I remember that being on and I couldn't watch it because we would go on Wednesday nights. <laughs> so I remember it was about that time, but we were excommunicated. I'm not, I don't remember what exactly it was other than hearing rumors throughout the town that my dad was excommunicated for bringing drugs into the town. And I don't know if that was true or not that was that was hearsay 
But my mother was going deeper and deeper and deeper into these crazy, psychotic episodes. Uh, and I'm not sure if anyone at, at the Jehovah's Witnesses even realized what was wrong with her. Because it wasn't until after that that it started to get really bad. And, you know, if you read my book, you know that, you know, when I mean really bad, it got really bad. I mean, it's, it's as if she never slept at all. Yeah. This, this craziness went on 24-7. Do you think it was connected to the Jehovah's Witnesses at all? Like, do you think that that's why they excommunicated? Or do you think that it came, like, it came out because, like, I mean, it's hard to think that it's not connected in some weird spiritual way. Well, it's a possibility, but I remember my dad stopped going. And then it wasn't long after that, that we, that mom stopped going too. And then I would hear the rumors at school that they were excommunicated. And then, because my sister was, you know, seven years older than me, and it's a small town. So people hear stuff. And that's what she told me. She said that our family was excommunicated. One of the reasons was my father was accused of, uh, you know, bringing, you know, drug money. You know, that was the pizza connection back then in those days, you know, the late 70s, early 80s. And that was very prevalent in Canada, in Ontario at that time. Yeah, I remember you talking in your book about and it, and the other part that hit me was the drinking and the drugs from the 80s and Yes. And you kind of you kind of put some stuff into perspective. Like I went through addiction about 13 and a half years ago and I but I you know that was that wasn't necessarily the way I was in the eighties, but you, you, you described it as if like, that's just the way people partied. Like they, they weren't always trying to escape trauma. They were just, that's the, they were just, that's the way they were partying. Or I can't remember yeah. exactly what you said, but it, well, it, it was more recreation. Yeah. 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 Because us kids, I mean, if you were from the city, you, if you were from Toronto, especially you had clubs to go to, even if you were 16, you could get fake ID. It was all about having fun back then. And in the small town that I grew up in, there was nothing to do. I mean, if you weren't into nature, then you had nothing to do. So, you know, drugs were a recreation. All my friends did, you know, back then it was, uh, you know, black tar hashish, you know, but I was never into it. Everybody else did it. I thought they were idiots for it, you know, and then they drinking and everybody throwing up and I'd just be sitting there, you know, with my hand on my chin going, you know, what the, what the hell's wrong with you? You know, and then they call it a good time the next day. So it it was basically just recreation and lack of, and lack of anything to do boredom. And maybe describe your mom a little bit more than some of the, cause you, I mean, you were, you know, she's sitting there talking to herself or invisible beings or a group of people or whatever that's 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 there. But you 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 kind of a couple times there, you actually made an effort to f- try and figure out what was going on. But I don't think you realized the extent of it back then, right? I had no idea. She first <clears throat> she first was just talking to herself. Then it became multiple conversations. Then it became multiple conversations with multiple voices. Then it became multiple conversations, multiple voices, multiple different voices, and different languages. Wow. As a a kid, I was just casting it all off as just craziness and, oh, she's crazy. And, you know, but there were lucid times, like I say in my book, 
where she reached out to me. And, you know, I'm a kid of 12 and 13 years old, and she would reach out to me and say, you know, they're coming into me. They're, they, they come in and they run up the back of my spine into a head in my head and they perch there. And then, you know, right after saying that, boom, she was gone and she'd be going into these conversations. And there were times where these, these, these conversations went on all day long until nighttime. And I couldn't even break her, her focus by yelling in her face. And I did that on a number of occasions, just out of sheer stress, but I couldn't take it anymore. And I'd, I'd be six inches from her face, screaming as loud as I could, you know, profanities and anything I could to get her to stop. And it was like, she didn't even recognize that I was there. She continued, she continued doing what she was doing. I could not break her focus. And that was when I began to be afraid. That's when I began to realize that this was just above craziness. But still, it never hit, like I said, it never hit me what was going on until I was in my 40s and I did the research. And I said, oh, my God, she, you know, the research that I did was like this. You know, it was like a detective, you know, who puts a picture, puts a picture up on the wall and then you begin to put all the suspects and the crime around, and then you begin to draw all the timelines and all this kind of thing. And that's how you're able to look at the whole picture uh, in one view. And I did that with all of the cases, because this is what I suspected. I, and this is what I did. I started to put in columns all of the information that I knew about her, all of the things that I could remember all of the characteristics of her, her behavior. And then I would look at all the characteristics I would glean from all of the exorcisms and transcripts and, uh, you know, demonic confrontations that I could find. And I, I, I found an impeccable amount of information. I found that a lot of them were hoaxes. I found that a lot of them were, were, were actually mental issues. And then there was a small percentage of them that they were the real thing. And those are the ones that lined up. And I came to that conclusion and I went, oh my gosh. And I told my wife, I said, I've been studying this for like eight months and I really believe my mother's possessed. I, I mean, even when the time when I was 16 or 17 and in the book, when we have this, our very first like major confrontation and she's holding back the door and the door opens and all I see is her snarling at me and her left side of her face is bulging in and out and her eyes are just black. They're just black pools, black marbles. She had no pupil, no nothing. And then she growled at me, this man-like voice and lunged at me. I suppressed that to the point where I told myself that can't be true. I couldn't have seen what I seen. And then when I started doing the research on, on the actual cases that uh, were, you know, of course, they were done by the Catholic Church. And, you know, their observations, they were exactly the same. I found that all of the similarities in the real cases lined up. And I went to my, my wife and I said, oh, my gosh, this is what my mom suffered through, you know, and. And when I came to that conclusion, I was, I was completely shocked. 
Because even your dad saw that supernatural strength, right? Yes. She threw him. I mean, she's five feet tall. She's five feet tall, and she was uh, morbidly obese by that time. And she threw my dad around, who's 5'9", like like a child. And she, my dad never got the upper hand on her when they actually confronted. He, he got up and ran out of the door, ran out of the house, terrifying. Were the other languages she was speaking accurate? Do you have any I, way of knowing? As a, as a child, I had no idea. All I knew is that I couldn't understand her. And, you know, that's an interesting point because to this day, I love languages and I speak, you know, pretty good five or six of them. It was because of that that made me want to learn languages because I felt in the dark. I wanted to know what she was saying, but I had no clue. I had no clue what she was saying, and I always suppressed it as, oh, she's crazy. But when I got older, I wanted to know. So I began to learn languages all on my own. And I have a gift for it because my dad speaks a number of languages and dialects, and I picked it up just like that. So any Latin-based languages, uh, I'm not fluent in it. But uh, I, I, you could throw me in that city and I'd do just fine. Yeah, I was going to say, I wonder if you, if you could guess, like, would it be Latin or some weird uh, dialect or? Well, you know, it could be Aramaic. It could wow. be ancient Aramaic. It could be uh, uh, ancient Arabic. It could be, uh, see, I learned those languages now because of those incidences, because I knew that the key to understanding a language was learning it. And it really bothered me to be in the dark. I felt like she had a she had a hand over me, you know, as you know, other things that she had over me, you know, like life and death and and, and that such thing. What made you go looking for possessions? Like, how did you how did uh, that sort of happen in your life? It's so you know, so much later in life after. Well, even that? after that happened, when I was nineteen, that's when I left Canada. I left Canada. My, I left Canada. I moved to the West Coast. I was homeless under the Santa Monica Pier. And at that point, all I wanted to do was play music. I came to California to play music. And I had, you know, all of that was history to me. I was 3,000 miles away. It didn't really mean anything. But as I, as I got a little bit older, uh, and then it's when I had a family, things started happening in my house. And then that's when I started to started to question what, you know, what is going on here? You know, and those things became very familiar with what I lived in for 12 plus years. I, you know, you know, there's a saying about a familiar spirit and, you know, you know, I studied and I researched this. That's what got me on the trail, but still it wasn't till 10 years later that I was really studying hard. But because my kids were little, I was busy working seven days a week and my kids. So my primary focus was my family. But that's when things began to happen in my house. And and wasn't it strange the way she passed away? She actually passed away on the day that I left for California. <laughs> so After I find that that, yeah. that, uh, that is not by uh, coincidence. Um, you know, I, now with the knowledge that I have, I'm a true believer in demonic entities, why they're here, what they're doing. 
uh, what their purposes are. And uh, I'm very aware now of them and uh, what they're able to do to families. And I'm able to sniff them out. (laughs) I I can point people out on the street. We've gone to Los Angeles a few times, which is about two hours from here. And uh, I can drive by people and I can tell you that person right there is demonically possessed. You can tell there's a, there's a familiar spirit about it. Their actions. I'm so familiar with their speech for 12 years. I know their cadence. I know their inflections. I know the, the gate in which they speak. They speak in scatological terms. They have this chaotic, repetitious uh, uh, anger and hatred toward people. And it is, it's, it's easy to point out when you've lived with it. So did you have to deal with your own home then as well during all this? I mean, learning about all this, uh, did, did it yes. escalate at all or anything? Or? Yes. When my kids were little, that's when things started to happen. Uh, my wife, I would go to work. I'm a professional musician, so I would go out playing flamenco uh, at the casinos and restaurants and places like that, events. And my wife would hear three knocks, bang, 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 on the wall. And then maybe a little later, bang, 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 on the wall. And this started over a few days. And I would come home and then she'd say, you know, I thought they were doing construction or something in our neighborhood, but I heard three bangs on the wall. I said, three bangs? Yeah, you know, three bangs are an insult to the Trinity. So those things always happen in threes. Uh, It's That's very documented uh, behavior. And I said, well, keep keep a listen for it. And tell me from what side of the wall you're hearing it from. So a couple days would go by, bang, bang, bang. She'd hear me, she'd hear it again. But this time she was aware and alert. And she would listen and just wait and she'd hear it again. And then after a couple of days, music started playing in my studio. I had one room in the house that was a studio. And the music started blaring. And she was she was holding her own pretty good. Until one day she called me, she called me, I was playing and she called me in a frantic panic and she said, you've got to come home. You've got to come home. Something crazy is going on here. So I sped back home. She was with the kids sitting outside. I went up to her. She was crying. I said, what's going on? What's going on? She goes, the banging in the house, it's keep repeating itself over and over and over. And it's coming from inside the walls. It's coming from the attic. Uh, which the attic, the attic crawl space was in our closet, uh, in our master bedroom. Oh. So yeah. So the first thing I, I I checked was I went, and when we moved in here, we'd only been in the house for a couple of months. Uh, I checked the crawl space, and you know most crawl spaces they have a piece of drywall that uh, sits, you know, sits on the on the um, the trusses. You know, and then you just push it up with your fingers and then you can look up there. Well, she told me that she heard the banging in the closet. And when I went to look in the closet, that piece of drywall was split right down the middle. And the only thing holding it together was the paper on the back. So if you're familiar with drywall, you know what I'm talking about. There's gypsum on one side and then there's the paper that hold it all together. Well, it was snapped clean in half and just the paper holding it together. 
So that night, you know, I assured her that things were okay. We went back in the house that night. Our girls who live, who um, were um, sleeping, they're right next door to us. So when you walk out our door, there's two, you take two steps and then you're in their room. So basically we have a common wall. That night we heard a big, huge crash coming from her room. I, I was in there like a flash and I had seen that my daughter was up against the wall and then recoiling from the wall and, you know, waking up. And I said to her, I, I said to her, she was three at the time. I said, are you okay? You're okay. And she said, she said, yeah, daddy, the, the, they keep calling my name and the light keeps coming down the hallway. So that was the end of that. I had had enough at that point. And, uh, I went and, uh, I got, um, some people from church and we came over and, uh, there, I think there were six men that came over uh, and we prayed over the house. We prayed over, you know, the three, the four of us. And uh, from that minute, it was gone and it was over. But then our daughter began to tell us that this was happening every night. She was only three and she, we didn't watch TV. We had no TV back then. All we watched was Disney movies. You know, we had no TV. There was no cable, no nothing. They just watched Disney movies. So she was highly un, unimpressed by any media, any TV shows, any cartoons, anything other than Disney. And she began to tell us in great detail about this, this thing that was talking to her in the middle of the night and calling her name. It would first call her name, but come down the hallway as a bright light. So that was the end of that uh, after that day. So that wasn't the end of the experiences. Uh, they happened for, for many years before that and many years after. In fact, when I was writing this book, crazy things were happening while I was writing this book. I was writing this book in my living room, which is not very big, and I like it dead quiet in here. No fans. I like the windows closed. I like everything dark in here so I can write. And when I was writing the book, I heard a, a, a kettle whistling behind the TV. It was so loud, and I was like, are you kidding me? What could that possibly be? And I, I was listening and I'm looking at the TV and I said, it's coming from the behind the TV. So I slowly put my laptop down. The second I got up, it stopped. <laughs> Same so house. I, what's that? Same house. Uh, I would imagine so. I would imagine so. In fact, I would probably put money on that. Uh, generational. Generational. I've had uh, at least three three cousins and uncles in my family hang themselves in the basement, not yeah. shoot themselves, not, you know, commit suicide, you know, jumping off a bridge, hanging themselves in a basement. Now, if you, if you're familiar with research on things like that, um, there is a very demonic, there's a very demonic spirit in nature about hanging yourself. This is what happened to Judas. This is the first thing that Judas did. You know, one of the 12 apostles, he hung himself. And so many of these, these uh, uh, cases you read about uh, uh, involve hanging. There's something about that that is uh, demoralizing to both the, the human being and the creator. So, you know, I really believe, you know, you, you bring up a good point here. There, it is generational. 
It is generational. Because if you believe in spirits at all, you'll understand through some very simple research that they've been here a long time. They know you. They know your family. They know your ancestry as far back as anyone can pinpoint well when you, you did know, all that when you did all that research and you put them all in the columns and the timelines from all the possessions going back to what like 1300s you said or something like that or 1400s i mean yes. was there was there is there a chance that those same entities were traveling through different periods of time through different people like what was there any overlaps there or was it no they don't have to travel they're they're uh, forever they're eternal no but i mean all is spirit. there but is there like was there a was there a trend of of these things happening at different points in time, I guess? Uh, yes. Yes. And in fact, my uh, my uh, Zio, who's my uncle, he says that he can trace back our actual Italian lineage, lineage to the 13th century in Calabria. But I don't even need to go back that far. I just need to look through my mother's side and my father's side back a few generations to see how many people hung themselves and committed suicide. And this, this is what demonic forces do. Oh, you know, interesting. When we, yeah, yeah. I do speaking, I do speaking and lectures on paranormal stuff and these paranormal, paranormal investigators on TV, they got the whole thing backwards. They they'll say that, Oh yes, uh, that's John that hung himself in the 18th century, you know, down in the basement of this hotel and that's, you know, the residual spirit of this guy. They got the whole thing backwards. The, the, the thing that it's backwards is, is that the demonic entities were there first and they caused those people to die. You know, the whole thing is just, it's a big TV farce. Well, what's the, go- you know, what's, what- the what's the ghost aspect of it then? Well, there is no ghosts. They're all demonic entities. They're all demonic entities. When you do the detective work on this, it all points to one host. That host is is the devil and demons. They are the respon- They are the responsible parties for all of it. There are no six year old girls who got done wrong coming back and haunting. And you see toys on the bed. You know, people are you know walk away out of a hotel room. That that is the game. So that that's game that's a de- that's a that's a demon or a devil playing that game with us. That illusion. It's an illusion yes, to us because they want entrance. They want to gain. Your confidence, to always, they love to play the game of, of bringing somebody that you love to trying to communicate with them. And in fact, I think, I, I believe that this was the entry point for my mother because she lost her father, who she loved and adored in a tragic accident. And I believe my mother attended seances to try and speak with him. And that was the entrance point. I believe that I remember back when I was three years old, I remember my aunt, my aunt and my mother and my uncle talking about seances. And I never knew what that was as a kid. And then, you know, I went back into my memory and remembered that kind of thing. And I said, I bet you anything. That was her entry point. That's where she allowed. See, to be demonically possessed, you have to invite because there's hierarchy in the demonic world or else. Demonic forces would possess everybody. Yeah, but it might not be. It might not be consciously inviting. Could it be subconsciously as well, just by doing the wrong thing? Well, that's an invitation because we know we know better. We know better. We know we know the difference between right and wrong and evil and good. We know that difference. And if we're willing to make that step and to invite 
something in, you know, whether it be by Ouija board or seance or, you know, they got these EVPs now out, which I think are horrible. They're basically digital Ouija boards and they're teaching kids all across the world uh, to, to communicate with entities that they know nothing about. But <laughs> yeah. yes, they know nothing about, you know, there is no communicating with these entities in impunity. That means there's, there's consequences. When you watch these guys on TV, you know, doing all this stuff, go ahead and scratch me and all this kind of, you don't know their, you don't know their home life. If you research some of these people, you will find that some of these paranormal guys have committed suicide. They've, they've killed their, their relatives. I mean, there is no impunity for playing on the dark side. There is no impunity. You, you cannot expect to, to delve into this darkness and there not be consequences. What about uh, things that people don't think are demonic or evil or dark? Like let's say ETs or making ET contact or um, meditation, well, meditation or like, or, <clears throat> or um, yoga. I mean, who knows? Like where, I mean, some people can, can take that really far away. What's your thought about that? Yeah. Well, you know, I speak on, I speak on every subject there is under the sun about this stuff whether it's UFOs, abduction, uh, you name it, and they all point to one enemy, and that is the demonic world. One thing you have to understand, and this is what divides and separates all of these different sort of cases that you just mentioned, is that there are hierarchies. There are hierarchies. There's difference between fallen angels and demons. There is differences between them, and there are hierarchies of them. There are some that dwell in the high places, in the heavenly realms, and then demons don't do that. Demons are here on earth. They're the ones that are, are the, 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 uh, the reasons for all of your, and I hate to use these words because they're generic paranormal words, but paranormal activity, hauntings, um, you know, objects, movings, poltergeists. Um, any, any of that kind of, you know, um, speculation is all one entity and that's demonic. It's all demonic. Well, one, one category of one hierarchy of entity. Yes. Multiple, multiple, multiple entities though, right? Yes. But there, there is hierarchies among demons too. There are demons that are that, you know, the Bible tells us about demons that are mute. That they go into a person and they make that pe- person mute. Huh. There are demons. There are demons that go into people and they say, they say that you know I'm not the chief. I'm not the chief among us. There might be twenty of us here or three thousand of us here, but I'm not the chief among it. So there's a hierarchy uh, in the uh, in the demonic realm as well. But they're not as as um, coordinated and uh, orderly because. Their realm is chaos. They brawl amongst themselves. And there is much chaos, even within demons. This is what I saw in my mother. My mother had a war going on inside her. She had people battling for her possession. There were demons fighting it. And if you've ever looked at the Annalise Michelle case, you'll see the exact same things. There's even tapes of the demons arguing with each other She's mine. She's mine. You know, the other one, you know, and they, they state themselves. 
that in their realm, there's nothing but brawling because there is no order. There is no order. They are fallen. They are disorderly, evil, foul, and corrupt. And everything that they're involved in on this planet is as such. What about some of the entities that people interact with on psychedelics? Same thing. They are the same thing. They want entry. They want entry into your life. They, and this is what happens to demonically possessed people. It's not like TV where you become possessed by, you know, you see it on these crazy shows, like even on The Exorcist. Come in to me, you know, so that the girl may be saved. And all of a sudden the guy's eyes are freaking out and it's in him. Demonic possession happens over time. They have to be invited, you know. They have to be invited, and once they're invited, things start happening in their house. Okay, There's a reason why it takes time, because God is allowing you is allowing you the time to say, listen, I don't want this anymore. There's a rejection period that you can, you can use. You can use, but people don't want it. There's, there are people nowadays that ask for demonic possession. They ask spirits to come and, and possess them demonically. They ask them for uh, to be famous and rich, and they have the power to give that. Yeah. But you cannot sell your soul. That is a fable. You cannot sell your soul. That that is a fable and a farce. You know, we understand that. You know, in in research of this and the hierarchy and the power that uh, you know you have to invite these entities in, and it begins slow at first. You begin to have the problems around your house. That is the beginning of it. Do you and think if you've seen the conjuring and all this stuff? You'll see that those are real cases although they got the identity wrong, but those are real cases. And you see that they all start slow, a door opening, a knocking, scratching, those kind of things. Do you think that it's, it's, I mean, cause you hear about these Catholic um, bishops that are seeing all these possessions and they're like, it's just increased exponentially over the last few years. Or, I mean, I guess this would have been a few years ago when, when we started hearing about this. Um, do you think that, that there's something going on like sort of globally or in our dimension here where it's increasing, the darkness is increasing or, or like what's your state, what's your kind of big picture if you step back and look at, at what's happening? Well, great question. and I love the way you explained it. This is exactly what I've done with this subject too. And you know how when you were in your history class and you put timelines on a piece of paper and you put all the events that happened during in the world, in the Chinese Empire, in the uh, Persian, in the Babylonian, uh, you, you, see, you see these characteristics. Anyway, when you, look at, when you look at the acceptance, which has happened just in the last 10 or 15 years, more, more or less 15 years, there's an acceptance of the paranormal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There, That's what, exactly yes. what I'm getting at. We are shooting this stuff on TV and... People are gobbling up like candy. You know, this is what I talked about, about the EVPs. They sell them online. Ghost hunting equipment. All of this, all of this is to, to, to help you communicate with entities that want nothing more than to gain entrance into your life. Because if you allow it, it's valid. They're allowed to come in. That's why they come in and possess. Because they're allowed to. But you gave them entrance. And the correlation with the paranormal, and like I said, I've done studies on this, you will see that that correlation with the paranormal 
how outward it is, how all the TV shows, all the movies, everything we talk about now, there's a thousand podcasts on paranormal activity now that absolutely coincides with with the demonic oppression and the demonic um, possessions that are happening. If you look at Italy, Italy, Italy is the worst country in the world for this. They do some 4,000 exorcisms a week. <laughs> now, you know, grant, granted, you know, if I was to sit there and look at 4,000, I would probably come down to maybe, you know, a hundred that were real. Yeah, 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 ones, yeah. But still, know, but all, still, it's... you know, because there has to be, there are specific signs that, that uh, demons cannot hide. They cannot hide, you know. But there's also, so, we're also at a point where people are more open about telling these stories as well. Like since we started the the show, like almost, you know, let's say eight and a half years ago, th- people seem to be opening up with their, you know, UFO, exp- their paranormal experiences in general, and people wanted to talk about them. So that's, that's got to play some part in this. I don't know if it's the same as the, the TV, you know, the pop culture yeah. part of it. Well, it's, the it's, social media aspect of it is huge. I mean, if you look at the uh, paranormal groups on Facebook, they're in the, you know, 56 to 275,000 members. So we're talking about this, but there's, there's a ton of incorrect, incorrect information. I mean, people, I see people, you know, putting pictures of overexposed, you know, lighting, (laughs) you know, uh, a ring from, you know, the sun you know, claiming, oh, did I just get visited by something? I mean, it's just gotten absolutely ridiculous. And that's part and parcel of the game is the delusion part of it and the deluding of fact. You know, there is, there's two things in this world. There's fact and then there's everything else. There's 99% truth and 1% falsehood. That's still falsehood. That's still a lie. You see what I'm, you see what I mean? Yep. yep. I mean, in, in my lectures, when I do these speeches, I leave you no room for, for speculation. There's no room for conjecture. There's only room for the truth. And I've, I've, I've contacted many of these people. I've talked to Josh Gates and, you know, the guys from Ghost Hunters and, you know, and, you know, a number of these guys, Connecticut Ghost Hunters and all these guys with TV shows and stuff like that. And I'm telling you, they will not allow you to come on TV and debunk their fantasy because it's money-making entertainment. Yeah. And the entertainment part of it is the fact that no one knows what they're talking about. So the sky's the limit. If we were to sit down in a room and I was able to say, listen, I want to have, I want to have a, a good conversation back and forth with you. You know, you tell me by what authority do you say this is this and this is this, this is this. And I'll tell you, you know, where I'm coming from. And then let's put it all on a blackboard and see where we end up. What is the end game of all? See, you can do your own detective work and come to a better hypothesis than live than listening to some paranormal guy on TV saying, "Oh, I think that's residual energy from uh, Jason. A guy died, you know, in the basement. He jumped <laughs> off the roof when he was eighteen because he was unhappy." That's nonsense. That's nonsense. And I'll be the first to say that because I have researched and spent decades of my life in this stuff. I lived with it. I'm so familiar with it. I can smell the sulfur. 
Like you said, it, it must be interesting because you heard her jibber jabbing. Like she would just sit there in a chair and just eat, 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 and jibber jabber. And you would hear that. I mean, I can imagine that that your your that cadence in that language like would be sort of ingrained. You know, like yeah. that, that would sort of almost train you to identify familiar spirits, as you call them. Yes, yes. And you know, what's your name again? Graham. Graham, Graham, you, you're my age, so I bet you anything you could probably tell me a lot of a lot of quotes from Bugs Bunny. <laughs> oh yeah, because we watched it, and even though they weren't on the same cartoons, weren't on every week like you know like they are now. You can watch the reruns whenever you want. You know they came on maybe every six months or so. You knew those things, so when you're hearing this. 14 hours a day, you know, and, and may I paint the picture too, that while she was doing this, she was whacking herself on her chest with a big log. And the thuds were so loud that you could hear them from outside. And she would do this for 12, 14 hours a day. It never stopped. I would go away for five days, pull in the driveway and hear the thud thudding from outside. It never ended. Wow. And it I'm telling you, it was the, it's now that, now that I know what I went through, I'm able to deal with this and I'm able to look at it and go, oh my gosh. And I really don't know how I survived it mentally, even though I am quite, quite messed up. I mean, I, I do have a lot of, uh, um, uh, brain, brain issues with dealing with stress and PTSD, but, uh, I really, I really don't understand how I got through it. Because this kind of crazy trauma went on for years. It never ended. It never ended. It happened all day. And then at nighttime is when it got worse. That's when the screaming started. And the wandering around in the hall, beating herself, you know, with this, with this log and trying to get in our rooms. You know, my sister, you know, lived in her room with a lock on the door. And I put my, tre- my uh, dresser drawer bureau against it and slept with my hockey stick. I did that for a decade. And the weird thing is that I never thought it was wrong or different because that's what I grew up. I was the frog in the proverbial water slowly getting turned up and never, never felt as if I never went to school and say, hey, I got to tell somebody about this. It, it was completely normal to me. Like I said, it wasn't until decades later that I had my breakdown and I really realized, oh, my God, this And then that's when I began to heal from it, when I realized and I was able to identify what this was and what happened to me. What about your sister? Did she ever get to that point or she's still, how has she dealt with it? She never did. She, in fact, bailed on me when I was 16. Uh, No, I think I was 13. She was seven years older. So when she was 18, as soon as she was 18, she left. She left. She couldn't handle it anymore. I mean, she basically never, never walked out of her room. She lived in her room with a lock on the door. And your dad was already gone by then, right? So, well, my dad was working six days a week. He'd be home for a couple hours and then gone again. He was pretty much impervious to everything, you know, everything. He had no real concept of what was happening. You know, in fact, we have had a talk now. And, and uh, he does know that there was something majorly wrong with her, especially when she attacked him that day. I think that made it all clear that it was more than just the psychobabble, you know, 
but uh, we've talked since then and he realizes that I am really, I am really messed up, you know, and my adult life is, I mean, I've never been able to hold a job, you know, because I have such severe PTSD. In fact, some psycho- psychiatrists wanted to refer me to a POW who dealt with guys that killed babies and children, you know, in Vietnam, because that's the only thing they could attribute my experiences to, yeah. you know, it was the, the worst possible thing, you know, no one had no psychiatrist that I talked to had had demonic activity and possession as part of their repertoire of understanding. You no, and the problem is the somebody. problem is we can't even we can't even acknowledge that it exists, right? In our society. Yeah. That's the problem is we're in this weird paradigm where so many people have these experiences and yet we can't officially recognize anything but materialism, really. You know, it's yes, very and, strange. And how many of us are there that I mean I have read so many exorcisms in my life, transcripts. I've never known anyone that's gone twelve plus years like me. Yeah. I've never known anyone. I mean, six weeks. Uh, the Annalise Michelle case was nine months. You know, that's about that's about the the length of it. Mine was twelve plus years. Yeah. You know. So what do you think so, that what do you think is going on as a bigger picture again? Get to sort of that that big overview again. Like where where's this going from here? Because uh, we're entering. I'm sorry, we're I'm not in a, sure what you're referring to. Just the the whole culture, our culture, like our this whole culture that we're going through, this everything that's happening right now, you know. Well, it, from you know, from the lens of demonology, let's say. Well, okay, from from that, uh, it's going to get increasingly worse. I mean, you're going to see, you know, back in the seventies, back in the seventies and eighties, and you know, and beyond that, earlier than that, uh, you know. Satan, if we can use his name in the proper form, uh, he's always done his work subliminally. He's always been the guy that, nah, I don't believe in that. I don't believe it. Today, not so. He's right in your face. You have many, many celebrities that are flashing the symbols, that are showing the allegiance. I mean, they're basically saying, this is how I got here. Yeah, it's overt, <laughs> it's overt symbolism. But you said that, that people can't sell their souls. So what, what are they doing? No, because they bow down and worship. That's it. You see, that's all they have to do. No, you cannot sell your soul. Because if you believe in the devil, you've got to believe that there's a God. There's another side of the coin here. You can't have one without the other. And if, if, if you know... So they're just... Say, oh, they're, so that's not a, a religious thing. So it's not What's a that? Faust. It's not a Faustian deal. It's just a worship thing. Yes. Yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't care. The enemy doesn't care if you if you uh, you know want to sell your soul. That's nonsense. He wants you to worship. That's what he wants. He wants worship. He wants worship. We all worship. Every one of us worship. We every person on this planet worship today, whether it was God, yourself, money, man. Uh, nature, wherever you put your attention, worship. wherever you put your attention and your intention, That's or? It. wherever, wherever the 51%, uh, you know, the CEO conglomerate 51% lies, there's your worship. That's where your heart is. So what, what should people do if this is, if they think that this is happening to them or their family members, or do you have any advice for people? Well, yeah. Uh, don't go to a paranormal investigator. <laughs> That's one. Secondly, don't go to a Catholic priest because that whole game has been set up that the enemy casts out himself. 
uh, I find it very interesting that only the bishop is allowed to to pronounce an exorcism on somebody. How convenient for the enemy, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. What 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 a beautiful hand in hand relationship that is, you know? Uh, I would my advice would be to go to a Bible believing church, a church that believes in Jesus Christ as the Savior, because there ain't anything else, friends. There ain't anything else. And that also is my detective work on every religion I've studied in all of the world. All of this stuff I've studied so comprehensively, and it all led me to one person, Jesus Christ, the man that died on the cross for uh, for us. He took our place. And that's all it takes, people. That's do they all need a takes. church, though, or why do they need to go to church? Can't they just bring Jesus oh, into no. their lives, like on their own? Or? Any, anywhere in their in their bathroom, you can accept him in your bathroom. Doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter where you are. You know, I'm one of those cases. My life fell apart at the age of 23. This whole thing came to a head. It exploded on me. I was going to commit suicide. I got on a bus going to see my wife i was going down ventura boulevard if anybody anybody out there's familiar with los angeles area they'll know ventura boulevard it's the famous the famous sub boulevard that goes through the san fernando valley i was on my boulevard on that boulevard and in front of some 40 people on that bus i cried out aloud because remember i grew up a jehovah's witness but i didn't cry out oh the god of jehovah's witnesses saved me I just said, and I said it out loud in front of everybody. I said, God, whoever you are, whoever you are, I've made a mess of my life, and I need you to come save me. I need you to help me. So basically, I gave this cheesy sinner's prayer that I didn't find out <laughs> in front of everybody year afterward. <laughs> but I'm telling you, in that moment, while people were looking at me thinking I was crazy, and I was crying and talking out loud, at that minute, when I said those words, a great peace came over me, and I didn't hear no audible voice or anything like that, but I felt a peace inside of me that said, he spoke and said, my sheep know my voice. And I didn't say anything. I didn't even say I even said that to my wife until a year or two later, because I didn't think she would believe me. But I didn't hear an audible, audible voice. When I got off the bus, I ran to the house. I knocked on the door. She looked at me like I was crazy. I invited myself in, sat her down on the couch. See, at that point, we were separated and we were estranged. And she was pregnant with my first daughter. And I said to her on that couch, I don't know what just happened to me, but everything's going to be okay. Something just happened to me. And it's like I told her, it's as if the scales or, or a veil was pulled from my eyes. And I'm now able to see things as they are. That this world is running down and it's decrepit and, and it's full of evil. And I wasn't able to see that before. I was a musician. I was looking to party and rock and roll, man. And from that moment, we amended and we've been together for the next 32 years. Wow. So that is my testimony that is my testimony, and I bear witness to it because, you know, you could say or think, oh, well, you know, he went through some psychological drama because he was traumatized or whatever. But what I'm telling you is the concrete evidence of it is that 
It changed my life. I have never been the same person. And I didn't find out till two years later that what had happened to me was that I was born again. That's why I was able to see the world as it is and as it was. And I've never been the same person. And to take it one step further, if you would oblige me, my wife came to salvation because of my life. And 27 other people in my family followed after that and became believers and dedicated their life to Christ. Wow. That doesn't happen by being in a cult. That, 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 that's not something that's cultish. That is some, it changed our lives from the inside out. We became different people. We cast aside all of our things that we, we used to do, our swearing and drinking and partying and fornicating and all that kind of stuff. There was no use for that. We, we didn't feel those, those desires anymore. You know, I mean, you can call it whatever you want. I'm just testifying here today that I grew up with a woman that was possessed, and this is where it led me. It led me to peace. Now, quite frankly, you know, I do have that peace, but I do bear the scars, which means I still have severe PTSD. Every night when I go to sleep, my face goes numb before I go to sleep, and I have to take pills that knock me out. And when I wake up in the morning, I wake up in the morning because my face is numb from stress. Sometimes I can't even uh, speak words because my face is numb. Have you ever had that? Your face went numb if you had a shot or something? No, no, not really, no. And you can't talk? You're like, no, no, that would be scary. That's my life. Yeah, wow. That's my life. So what made you want to do the book then, write the book? Because your book is well, not like you don't get into it's not like a preachy book or, or anything like that. You know, yes, it's not a you, I mean, you I talk about it at the end be, briefly, but it's not like the whole thing's about that. Yes. No, the whole thing is not about that. The whole thing is my eyewitness account. I'm basically saying this is what happened to me. What was your question right at the beginning? It was a good question. Uh, why'd you write it? OK, the reason why I started writing it was that my girls who are now in their 30s. Where, you know, they had some knowledge of what happened to dad, you know, was not good. But I started writing that as a legacy that, you know, whenever you feel like you want to read this, this is what happened to your dad. You know, here you go. But while I was writing it, the girls were interested because my wife had mentioned, hey, girls, he's, he's writing the book. And they said, dad, I've told people about that. You've got to tell people. You've got to write this book and put it out publicly. So it wasn't until... I don't know, maybe I was a third away through and I put it down and my girls were saying, hey, you got to write this book. And I, yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, but whatever. Who cares? Who cares about my story? You know, who cares? You know, but when COVID hit, I had all this time on my hands because I'm a musician. So my industry was the first to go <laughs> and the last to come back. So I had all this time on my hands. So I decided, hey, you know what? I got the time. Let me write the book. So I wrote the book during COVID. And to, to, to be honest with you, I'm eight chapters into the second book, which is <laughs> questions you've been asking me about the aftermath. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. From, so from 19, from the day I left Canada is where book two starts and then shows you everything I went through up until 54. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I'm looking forward to reading that because, I mean, honestly, you're, you're the, I liked reading about the whole just growing up in the 70s and 80s and the being in the nature yes. and the sort of the free-range kid playing, you know, sort of trying to learn how to play hockey or playing some hockey and the baseball yes. and the, and just, I don't know, it just felt, 
it was it was good to read that. So I'd like to read the uh, what happened afterwards because that you know yes. that was kind of so a, it's just, called Devil Take the Hindmost Part Two: The Aftermath. And like I said, that begins on the day that I left, and then I came to California and I was homeless and blah 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 blah. And then here we are, still living in California, you know, thirty six years later. So I'll take you right up to right up to today. Yeah, that's right cool. before this interview. Right yeah. before the interview. Yeah, <laughs> now I have the Grand America show to do. Yeah, yeah. Where can our <laughs> listeners get the first book? Uh, yeah, it's available on Amazon. Um, if you are a Kindle, um, if you've got the Kindle package unlimited, uh, you get to read it for free. If you just have the Kindle, uh, just a normal package, you can download the book for six ninety nine. Or there's uh, a lot of, um, there's, I think, three or four apps from Google that you can download it to your phone. So you don't necessarily have to have a Kindle. But I'm not doing the paper the paper thing. Um, I'd really like people to download it. I think we're in an age now where everybody is digital. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we, don't, we don't need a hard copy book or anything like that. Um, I probably will will at, in some time do a, a soft cover and a hard cover only because... I just signed with um, a Manhattan Speakers Bureau uh, called the Spy Legends, and I've got like the craziest story on there. <laughs> so now I'm an author speaker uh, for them. So I'll be doing uh, uh, speaking engagements. Uh, it's an international company. So I'm, I'm waiting for the uh, you know COVID thing to let up, and then we're going to get on track with that. Cool, and then you'll have and some hard copies to sign or whatever. And, yes, yeah, and yeah. then I'll probably bring, I'll definitely bring in the soft covers and maybe some hard covers because I know people like those. Right on, buddy. Well, this has been fun. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's do it again when your next one comes out. Yeah, I'm looking at a a, a January 2022 release. So okay. in the next, uh, I want it out within the next four or five months. And uh, so, so that, you know, both books are, are, you know, within earshot, you know, it's not a big time gap between them. And then I've already did the storyboard outline for a third book, which is my peek into the uh, demonic realm, which is going to be, it's going to be very intense and it will be a novel. It's going to be based on fact and fiction. So I'm going to create scenarios with truth with truth talk behind it. Nice. It's going to be very interesting. Okay, right on. Well, keep in touch, and we'll have you back on. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you guys. I love the fact that your background was a sunny day, even though it's dark out. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. <laughs> uh, by the way, what is that? Is that Calgary behind you? No, I don't know what it is. That's it's just Calgary. a picture. Yeah, is it Calgary? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it is. An yeah. artist rendition yeah. of Calgary yeah. or something. I <laughs> yeah. don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, There's definitely some buildings there that are from Calgary. It looks Calgary-like. Yeah. yeah, it's great. It's great. I like that it's daytime sunny and happy on such a doomy tub, uh, topic. <laughs> no kidding. Right on, buddy. Well, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. Appreciate you guys. Okay. Thanks, Love Michael. Have Thank a lovely so night. We'll see you in uh, 2022. Okay. Sounds great. All right. Bye. All right. Ciao. Ciao. And that was a chat with, uh, oh boy, Michael Galliarde. Galliarde. Oh, that was more French, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. more French. Galliarde. Galliarde. What'd you think? Oh, I don't know. Was, I mean, honestly, like, that could be a ringtone for there's some a, There's a lot of, uh, a lot of demon stuff. If we going put two on of them together, yeah. it'd be like Ric Flair. There you go. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's right out of the 80s, too. A lot so, of yeah. Well, you're well, both the show, so... So, so I, mean. I, I know. This is what's happening. So, <laughs> I mean, I got... He got him... He got... He came to me, and I'm like, geez, this is like the third one now, right? The, the, so, if you include the outlaws, it might even be three or four, right? Include the outlaws. And it all came to, at, at once. I'm like, I, I guess we got to do this. It's a sign that we got to kind of just approach this devil, demon, possession, sort of really Jesus evil. Jesus saves the world. Jesus saves the world. No, not, they don't all end up being like that, I don't think. But I mean, Three out of four. even the outlaw <laughs> that we did before this wasn't even about possession. It was still about Jesus. So I don't know. He's creeping in a lot too. Jesus is creeping in. Yeah, he's creeping in a lot too. I mean, I don't know. It's so interesting. Right Have now. you been channeling Jesus? No, no. Maybe dude. you're the second coming of Christ. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> is that too much for you? Yeah, way too much. <laughs> yeah, what'd you think? Too much responsibility? I just, dude. Yeah. You couldn't handle it? No. You have to grow your hair out. Yeah. What'd you think? Oh, it was all right. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know about the demons that answer for everything either. Like the whole ET, like everything paranormal is like the demons. I mean, I can kind of see where people can come to that conclusion. Like it's all just. Sort of trickster demons and demons, different hierarchies, and it's all demon, demon, demon. But I, I don't Jesus know. Jesus being the only savior, either. Yeah, exactly. It's. I mean, some yeah. dude who's been around for a couple of thousand years. Is everyone before that was just doomed? I mean, we've had guests that have basically told us that. Yeah. yeah. They're just like, well, this sucks for those savages. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I know. Very strange. But I don't know. Maybe I mean, I didn't, I mean, it'd be interesting to see what, yeah, like ch challenge him a little bit on Jesus being a yogi and, you know, being like a healer and like just more of the new age Jesus, like not, like, new, uh, not new age, but the more esoteric, like the, 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 adept, Kenobi. yeah, yeah, exactly. The Jesus that was more of an initiate. You know? Or if he was just like the initiated superstone on peyote or something. Well, you know what's interesting is the guy we were talking to uh, on Outlaw, John Paul Rice, recently, like just before this show, he was talking about how Jesus went to the sheep, right? He went to the the people, the weak, and the and the sheep, and then he said in there that, that Jesus, when he said to him, uh, what did he say when he and heard he that message? It was about the sheep. sheep. He said, he said, uh, "Come to me, my sheep," or something. Are you a sheep now? You're not turning into a sheep, are you? Uh, no, Am I a sheep? We're all sheep. <sighs> Yeah, we're about to get fleeced. You know what the thing? You know what the thing is though. We we know our sheep. That's the difference. Does it help? Or yeah, is ignorance bliss. Yeah, I I would maybe agree with you there. Yeah, sometimes I wish. So maybe we could just put the genie back in the bottle. We want to go to a Let's movie this weekend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's Let's get the go. podcast. <laughs> America.ca slash support. If you want to try and convince us not to uh, put the genie back in the bottle, quit the podcast, go to the movie. Maybe go there, sign up for monthly, make a one-time donation. Head over to adultbrain.ca, check out all the fantastic audiobooks we've done, all that stuff. Uh, you can check out my book, A Canadian Shame, at a canadianshame.ca, where I argue Jesus doesn't didn't do a lot to save, but uh, teach their own. Uh, what else we got? That was more about the church and the Catholic, and I think the Jesus message got lost. Like <laughs> the Jesus didn't even come up. Yeah, spam Graham with uh, ideas and feedback and sightings. Was it Jesus back then? Possession Has experiences and what? Is Jesus more of a modern day? No, because no, it was supposed about, to be, like, but it just got. Yeah. I think it just got. I, I just think it got lost. It got out of it control. It became about yeah. It got out of control. Look at it now. It's yeah. like look at the Vatican. That's what I mean, yeah. <laughs>
so interesting looking at uh Who's I hear? Who's I listening to today? They're talking about. How Did you go to the Vatican? The, the thing you said about all the. I went to Rome. I didn't go to the Vatican. You didn't go. No. You could have like snuck off down the hallway and maybe opened up the secret library door. I wasn't back then. I wasn't into that really. I was too busy getting told to put shirts back on my body from the cops in Rome. From the Roman cops. Yeah, you weren't allowed to go shirtless in Rome, and it was hot, what? sunny day, and I was like. It sounds the opposite like of everything I've assumed like, about it. Like, shirt back on. I assume <laughs> half the people have their shirts off most like, of the time. You guys had toga, go, you know, for the longest time. Man, remember toga parties? Oh, yeah, they're the best. We love you guys. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. Just